encounter our teaching text for today. And then I uh, want to do this little refrain as a way of centering us and helping us to focus this children's refrain as we in interact with the text here. It goes like this. Open up our ears to listen. Open up our eyes to see. Plant the seeds of understanding. Grow them up like the tallest tree. Open up our ears to listen. Open up our eyes to see. Plant the seeds of understanding. Grow them up like the tallest tree. teaching text for today is from Hebrews 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. To open up our ears to listen, open up our eyes to see. Plant the seeds of understanding, grow them up like the tallest tree. Once more, open up our ears to listen, open up our eyes to see. Plant the seeds of understanding, grow them up like the tallest tree. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, good morning, friends and family. How are we doing? Grace and peace to you. If we haven't met, I'll continue to introduce myself for a while since we have some new faces. My name is Ashley, and I get to serve our church as co-lead pastor along with Troy. And we are starting a brand new series today. We're calling it Abide. And as our teaching team thought about the past series, we were asking ourselves this question, what might sustain us as we enter into these new fall rhythms? Clearly, I didn't know how cold it was this morning because I threw on flip-flops <laughs> when I walked out the door, and yet I, I got the sweater right, right? What would be most helpful to equip our community in these days. And the sense for our teaching team was that engaging ancient practices that we see demonstrated in scripture in a practical way might just equip us in our life with God and in with each other, right? These practices have sustained God's people well throughout generations. They are tried and tested. And so we, as the people of God here in this time, we situate ourselves in whatever season we find, in our families, in our jobs, in our friendships, 
And we long for these disciplines to not be more cumbersome items just to check off of a list. But we long for these disciplines to actually invite us into deeper, meaningful, fruit-bearing presence with God and with each other. This was Jesus' call to us in John 15, to abide in him. And so today, we begin with the discipline of scripture reading. Allow me to set two scenes for you. Scene one is a library. Um, let me ask a question of someone out there, one of my friends. Um, Gail, what's, what's a hobby that you like doing? Reading. reading. So the, is, this, is, that, is that the right answer then? Reading the library? Okay, so we're going to stick with reading. We're going to stick with reading. Gail likes reading. What do you like reading about these days? Is there like, you like cooking, baking, running? Nonfiction. Nonfiction. So about real people. Actually, that took me a few years to understand that nonfiction meant it was true. Did that confuse anyone else for a few years? Okay. Yep. So let's just say you're reading about a historical figure, right? And, and we want to get to know Gail better. We know that she likes reading nonfiction books now, and we're trying to get to know her. She's part of the church community. So we head to our local library. And we pick up a few autobiographies of some important figures in the world. We read up on these figures, and we're searching. And what do we do? We go to the computer, right, in the library. We, we type in the search box for a couple of historical figures. We write down the titles that they send us to. And then we go searching the shelves for these books that we've looked up, right? So we get these and we search them and we say, well, Gail really likes this historical figure, but not this one. So we return a couple, we take some notes, and then the next time we show up at church, we're Gail's best friend. Because we get to talk to her about a couple of really important people in history because we know she likes nonfiction, right? Okay. So scene two, your back deck. You can hear a moving truck pull up as your new neighbors begin unloading. And they're, well, they're different. From the very first moment they got the keys to the new house, they put up this sign in their yard that just has you cringing. You don't like it at all. And then they've got these really loud kids. Their yard isn't done. They haven't edged properly. And they're the kind of people that look like they'll never edge properly. So you're like, this is going to be quite something, right? It sounds like they're having a hard time getting a piece of furniture through the door frame. But anyway, here you are, and the sun's just beautiful. And it's settling into the sky. You've got your tea and your Bible on your lap. And one of the passages for the day that you're reading is Luke 10, 25 through 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you read one line that stops you in your tracks. It's Jesus's words. Which of these three, remember the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer in the story says, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus responds and says to him, you go and do likewise. Both scenes involve books. But here's one I want to put before us today, Mars Hill. The first scene, what was the result? 
reference. We walked into the library to look up something that we knew Gail would like for reference. And yet in the second scene, this didn't just result in reference. It was a stage that was set for revelation. Concepts weren't just learned. Information wasn't just shared or absorbed. Facts weren't just translated. A story wasn't just told. In reading the parable from that particular passage of scripture, in that very moment, on that very day, a revelation, a revelation took place. And instead of you just simply reading Holy Scripture, Holy Scripture ends up reading you. Right there on your back deck as your neighbors move in. I can't help but wonder how many of us, when I said that we were going to be talking about Scripture as today's topic, we were a little underwhelmed. Internally, perhaps you thought, Really? That's it? That's all we're talking about today? Because if we are at all alike, perhaps you felt the temptation I have in the past in approaching scripture as one of three things. As a textbook where we learn knowledge. As a manual that tells you what to do and how to do it. Or perhaps as an inspirational catalog that makes you feel real warm and fuzzy on the inside. But at the end of the day, the lingering question might remain, what does scripture actually do? How is it any different from books by Jen, Ibrahim, or Brene? Isn't scripture dusty? Just a little irrelevant? Perhaps some of you may have asked, these are the questions we will be tempted to ask if only ever we see or view scripture as reference and not revelation. And by revelation, I don't just mean what's revealed to us, but what's revealed about us. And in a world where everything seems to be about us versus them, and where our identities, not just as individuals, but as the community of God can become muddied, confusing, unspecific, and overwhelmed by our jobs, our bank accounts, our loneliness, our lack of energy. We don't just need another self-help book full of helpful messages that we read. We need the written message of God to come to encounter and to know and to read us. Quick note for this morning, I'll be using the term scripture today to specifically refer to the written message of God. Here at Mars Hill, in case you've never seen this, as part of our narrative theology, here's, here's what we believe. We believe God inspired the authors of scripture by his spirit to speak to all generations of believers, including us today. God calls us to immerse ourselves in this authoritative narrative, both communally and individually, to faithfully interpret and live out that story today as we are led by the Spirit of God. 
We believe the Bible was written by people guided by God's spirit and affirm what it says it is. Authoritative, inspired, illumined by the spirit and useful for teaching, correcting, and wisdom. So given this belief, how do we abide then in Jesus through scripture in a way that's expectant a revelatory encounter and not simply as a bullet point on our spiritual reference sheets. The text that Barr bred for us this morning comes from the book of Hebrews. It was thought to have been written to a specific group of Christians who'd recently embraced the faith after having left their former religion. But things were getting difficult mentally, psychologically, because this group was now being persecuted. And as a result, they were beginning to waver, tempted to give up their faith entirely. Quick pause, has that ever been you? Where there was something, where you felt like God was too far, where you were too hurt, too unimpressed, Something in your life with God happened and you were wavering. Maybe that's you right now. (laughs) And you would say, Ashley, I'm holding on by a thread. If that is you or if it has ever been you, you are in good historical company with the audience of the Hebrews. In response to their wavering in chapters 3 and 4, the author is calling these particular Christians to endurance. The promise of entering God's rest, it still stands. The promise stands, but it's still possible for us to miss out on what God promises. So the encouragement from this writer then, the writer to this group of people, is to strive to enter the promise, in this case, the rest of God that is available to them because verse 12, chapter four, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The writer of Hebrews mentions that the written message is three things, if you've picked them out already. Living, active, and sharp. And I believe the encouragement to us, Mars Hills, to read and approach the scriptures in a renewed way with these specific properties in mind. For example, in preparation to watch Washington play Green Bay this afternoon, anyone? No, no one. (laughs) Regardless of what you're watching, you might choose to go home and put on a pot of chili, because it's chili season, right? So you go home, you put on the pot of chili, the scalding hot fire is underneath the pot, And would you choose to grab the pot with your bare hands around the base of it? No. Would you choose to serve the chili to your family with a pizza slicer? Maybe, but no. That's not the answer. Would you choose to serve the chili onto a salad plate? Please, Lord, no. You are going to get your pot holder you are going to remove the chili with the potholer from its burner and place it onto a different one because one of its properties is that it's what? Hot. Then you're going to get a ladle because it is soup and you are going to put it into what? 
A bowl we are alive and kicking this morning, Marcel. You're going to take the ladle and you're going to put the soup, the chili, into the soup bowl because the properties of the chili demand that you treat it as such. That's why scripture, as described by the writer of Hebrews, is living and sharp and because it is such we are called to come to it in a way that acknowledges those properties you may have heard of a couple of different methods of how to read scripture before I remember I used to lead a high school ministry a long time ago and one of the methods we used was called soap scripture observation application and then you pray it out Okay? Well, then that, that transformed, and over time we went to the three R's. A lot simpler, easier for the high schoolers to remember. One less letter. Read, reflect, and respond. And I'll say as helpful as these approaches were at the time and still are for many people, I reflect on the fact that they told me what to do, not how I should do it in response to the properties of the message of God. So this morning, we're going to use these properties as directives to direct our way for how we might read scripture in a way that doesn't just accomplish a task like a resource would, but that postures ourselves to receive and encounter God's revelation through the written message. So let's talk about the first property, the fact that scripture is living. It shows the true character of God. Think of your favorite living person. Say it's your uncle. He made the autobiography that Gail has read. Just because your uncle was alive 15 years ago, does that take away his meaning from what he means to you in your life today? No. Of course it doesn't. So therefore, because scripture, as the written message of the living God, was written many years ago and put down into written text, does that necessarily mean it's dusty and dead? No. Scripture, just because it existed then, does not mean it's not meaningful now. It is absolutely relevant. It is not outdated. There's a present aliveness that is available to us now because of the Spirit's leading and infusion of the text. So as we read scripture, just as there was back then in the first year of the written text, before then it was orally presented, just as it was then, it's available to us now as alive and meaningful. So I want to put before us that one practical step we might take is a step to initiate an interaction, just as you would with a new friend or someone you're getting to know. Someone has to send the first text message or email or make the first phone call to say, hey, do you want to meet up? And then for the people who we've really gotten to know in our lives, that person that you thought of as your favorite person became your favorite person because there was some meaningful, regular interactions with them. 
They didn't accidentally become your favorite person by not getting to know them. From a series of initiatives and interactions with that person. Yeah. The library or textbooks, they're not meaningful as references because we interact with them in a limited capacity. Eventually, we return the library books. The textbooks that we used were only used for a certain class or course in college, right? But regular interactions with scripture will over time turn into meaningful, life-giving encounters. Let me show you what this looks like for me in my life. And this would be my encouragement to you. One is to pick a spot. I'll show you my spot. This is my spot. That chair in our living room is like the favorite chair in the house, but at 5 a.m., we'll get into that in a moment, at 5 a.m. every day, I am in that chair. I am not in that chair for the same amount of time. Sometimes it's two hours, sometimes it's 20 minutes, based on how quickly one of my children decides to wake up. But I'm in the same spot every day, and I'll tell you what that's done. It's built in me an expectation that when I go to this one specific place, because that place holds memory, that I'm going to encounter living water. That I'm going to encounter life, right? So one, my encouragement to you is just pick a spot and try it. You can change it later, but pick somewhere in your house or at a park, or maybe it's in your car before you go into work, where you know this is where I am going to encounter the living message of God in Scripture. Okay, so two is pick a time. If there's something you do at the same time every week, you have built that as a routine into your schedule. You know it's going to happen. My time is 5 a.m. because I know that's the only guaranteed time sometimes that I can have a moment to myself. So I've put it in ink. I've put it in the calendar. Try a time that works for you where you want to show up, where, where, you, are, uh, where you are filled with energy and anticipation. Maybe the best time for you to read scripture, let's be honest, isn't five minutes before you go to bed. Because how many of us have um, know that scripture not just reads us, it watches us fall asleep if we wait, waste too much time, right? So pick a spot, pick a time, and then pick a plan. This is why I love our daily readings. I don't have to search through multiple devotionals to find scripture that comes alive. It's right here. And I know it's even more important to me, more meaningful, because I know it's something that our church, this specific community, has access to and can do together. So it's so meaningful when I know that someone from our staff shows up at work and talks about one of the daily readings for the day. There's a unique knitting together of heart, knowing that we are engaging the same scripture. This is available at marcel.org slash daily readings. If you want to jump in at any point, you don't have to wait till January 1st until a new season. You can start right now. And know that at least for Troy, myself, and a few of our staff, we read this every day with you and are encouraged every day with you. So pick a spot, pick a time, and pick a plan. I saw my grandmother do this. 
as a young girl, and I didn't know what she was doing at the time, but she was reading Our Daily Bread. Some of you know those little booklets I saw her reading. And it just inspired something in me, like she wants to be here. So even before I picked up the discipline myself, I saw her falling in love with something that was worth her time. And Marcel, I have to tell you, now I can kind of see my kids interested in, Mom, why are you always in that chair so early? Why does the coffee pot go off at 5.05 every morning? They're curious, they're wanting to know, and my prayer is that one day, just as I did with my grandmother, they will see that I am committed to a living message from God written in the text of Scripture because it does something in my life. That's my hope. So maybe you show up and initiate those interactions, not just for yourself, but for who is watching. That seed might be sown in more ways than you could imagine. The second property of scripture is that it's active. This might seem similar to the first property, but how many of us know that something can be alive but dormant? Like a volcano. Or maybe a bear in hibernation. I'm not sure it's the exact same, but you get what I mean. Something can be alive but dormant. So it may be easy for us to think of scripture as dormant, even if we understand it as alive. But this text from Hebrews speaks of its energes in Greek, energes. Its ability to move and operate in a powerful way. There is a movement and activity from the scripture as we read it. It's not dormant at all. The text has an activity to it so that when it comes into contact with something, that something being us, being you, it disrupts the inertia, the spiritual inertia or inactivity, and it moves us. All that to say deep down, if we don't believe that scripture is active, that inertia, that literal tendency to remain unchanged will continue. So perhaps some of us, we've never felt the movement of the text because we, we haven't put it together that scripture is active, it's longing to interact with us. So step two that I would put before you today is to anticipate impact. Anticipate impact. How many basketball players or former basketball players do we have in the room? Yep. Yes. Okay, so you know when your coach taught you to take a charge, when your opponent with the ball is coming at you, dribbling the ball, perhaps there's an opportunity for you to get in your opponent's way embrace for the impact. You cross your arms, you stand up tall. But my coach always told me there was another really important step. I had to bend my knees so that I could anticipate the fall and not get hurt. Because what happens when you lock your knees? You go toppling over, you could hurt yourself, right? So in basketball, I was taught to bend my knees to anticipate that impact to lessen the potential of injury. So some of us approach scripture not expecting to be moved. Some of us come to God's word not expecting to be moved. There's resistance for whatever reason. We think it's boring. 
It's just another item on the to-do list because we were told once upon a time, vacation Bible school, that we needed to memorize it or recite it or load our brains with scripture memory, which is good when we write it on the tablets of our hearts. But when it becomes just another item on the checklist, perhaps we do not bring our hearts and we are unable to be moved by the text. And therefore, we remain unchanged. A couple of practical suggestions. One is to soften your stance. Soften your stance. One of the ways that I do this, I, just breathing. Just breathing before entering into the text for the day. Some of you have heard of breath prayer. I've referenced this before, Psalm 139, search me and know me the invitation for God to search you and to move you, to know you. Another practical item is to pause when a word or phrase uniquely stands out to you. Some of us are moving so quickly that we know a word or that phrase stood out to us. It caught our attention, but we don't take that extra step and just write it down to come back to it for later. And here's what I would encourage you. Don't approach scripture in a way where you're trying to get through it all. If you're stuck on one verse or one chapter, stay there. Stay there. Avoid the temptation to rush through whatever plan you're in. Stay there and note it. This is why having a journal is so important if you don't have one. Pick up a journal and pause because the word of God is active and longs to encounter you. Okay, finally, it's sharp. This property might seem curious, but this comparison to a two-edged sword is mentioned in Ephesians 6, remember, in describing the armor of God, in Revelation 1, and then back in Isaiah 49. What does a sword have the ability to do? It's not just for defending. It's not just a defensive weapon. Jesus being tempted in Matthew 4, what did he use to confront the devil? He used scripture. He used words from God to defeat the devil. It does have that property, but it's also a precise entry point of impact. When sharp, it cleanly pierces a specific area. And so scripture, the writer of Hebrews says, is sharper than even that. In reading the text, we might be tempted to think that it says it divides our soul from our spirit, our psyche from our pneuma, right? But I suggest that we read it as it pierces into both. It divides both. It lays bare both. When we read scripture, every thought that we have, every motivation that we have, every desire we have, every dark corner that hides within us is laid bare before God. It's open and vulnerable to the truth of God's message. It's sharp. So the practical invitation here is to examine the opening. Just last week, one of the readings in our daily readings was Psalm 28. And I showed up to my chair, 5 a.m. in the morning, and I sat down. And all I did, church, was read the headline of Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. That's as far as I got, and I was bawling. 
Now, maybe it was because I hadn't had the caffeine yet, but I pose to you that there was something deep inside me that I was not yet aware of, that I didn't know existed, that I didn't know I was bringing to that spot, that the Spirit of God through Scripture, through the text, revealed and pierced in me. Maybe you've had a moment like that before where something in you is like, oh. And what do we do with that? When we examine the opening, if you get a cut on your finger, what do you do? You look at it, you see how deep it is, you clean it off, you bandage it. You take some time to assess what that actually is. So that would be my encouragement to us. Again, don't just slam your Bible shut and move on to the next thing. Ask God, like, God, what is this? Why did that hurt? Or why did that prick so deeply? Maybe it wasn't a pain point. Maybe it was a point of overwhelming joy or gratitude. Ask God, what is it in my life that that's touching? Am I aware of it? And what do you want me to do? Maybe the answer for those of us who are doers, sometimes, maybe most times, the answer is nothing. I just want you to receive my love. Maybe it's not to walk next door and help your neighbor. Maybe it's just receive. It won't be the same each time. This is not formulaic. There are probably three or four times in my life where a specific passage compelled me forward to a major life change. Four times. That means in the other however many thousands of times, that didn't happen. But because it showed up, because we show up, because we ready our stance and, and uh, anticipate some sort of impact, and because we're able to examine the sharpness of God's word, the, the text and scripture, then we receive our marching orders. Then we can be loved, right? Hebrews 4 ends, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Mars Hill, I hope that in this season, we'll encounter scripture as living and active and as sharp, not just as a resource to be speedily flipped through, but as a message of revelation, God's love on the page for us, his people. So just one more time, initiate that interaction, pick a spot, a time, and a plan. Anticipate impact and expect to be moved, even if that movement isn't what you expected. Just expect to be moved, show up with expectation, and examine the opening, look closely. Ask God to search you and respond. My life is different because the abiding presence of Jesus is present in the text, church. And I'll be praying for us. May we all continue to fall more deeply in love with the author of the message and be changed to the glory of God. We come to the table each and every week. There's a song that I remember singing as a kid by Fred Hammond. It's called The Living Word. She's talking about Jesus. You are the living word. And at the table, we're reminded that the word... God's message became flesh. And so we receive through this meal the message for us, God's people. 
Mars Hill, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. From the text we read that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was at a meal and he took the bread surrounded by his disciples and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he then took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So pray with me now, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the truth and the nourishment found in this meal as you've done in the past. God, would you bring us alive again by Jesus' words and promise. In the taking of this meal, Holy Spirit, would you, would you read us? Open us up to receive fully from your table as we eat together. In Christ's name, amen. So church, we get to do this every week, and I love that our voices and our intentions and our spirits are joined with other brothers and sisters who profess the same faith from around the world. It's not just us in this room or online. It's a body of believers who believe the same mystery that is dynamic and changes things, and that mystery is this, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So friends, table is ready for you. All is set. So take your time and pray by putting prayers in the walls in the backs of the room. And receive, receive who you are, the body of Christ. <laughs>